this summer. Come find me, Pinocchio. Come find me. A lonely puppet maker makes himself a real boy. But the Pinocchio, you are just a puppet. But your pedal, then why do I know Kung Fu? The year is 2099. Get ready for Cybernokio. You'll never, you'll never find the blue fairy. What do these memories mean? Hey there, Pinocchio. I'm Jimmy, Jiminy Cricket, the local hacker. How can I help you? I need guns, lots of guns. Unravel the mystery of the future. Yeah! Oh my god! He f he has no strings on him, but he fights like he does! Watch out! Watch out! Watch out! This summer, get ready for Cyber Nokio. What is a real boy anyways? <laughs> Welcome to the show. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, I've got a... nothing serious today. Today, I'm going to be remote. I'm going to be doing a quick review of some movies that I have seen recently. I'm going to be going over several movies, actually. Just going to throw in a quick Morbius. Then I'm going to tell you about a fantastic fantasy horror movie I saw recently called uh, The Spine of the Night. And then we're going to talk about the thing that really blew my mind recently, which is not a movie, but a mini, but a mini series on HBO Max that I thought was hella dope. Which is uh, Blade Runner Black Lotus. <clears throat> Alright. First, let's get it out of the way. Morbius. A lot of people hating on Morbius. Uh, and like... So, here's the thing. Like, I have made a personal mission to try and see all the comic book movies ever made. I mean, like, all of them. Uh, all the good, all the bad, all of them. All of them. And to record my thoughts on them. And so, of course, I had to go see Morbius. And, but I've got to tell you, having seen a lot of superhero movies, and even a lot of horror superhero movies, which, by the way, is its own subgenre of superhero movies, is the horror heroes. Or super... Almost all supernatural heroes are a little bit horror. Or have the potential to be written as horror. But like, you got your... You got your high points, like your Hellboy. And then like your low points, like your other Hellboy. 
Uh, actually, I kind of enjoyed that movie. It's, it's trashy fun. It's not great. And some of the special effects are, like, gross. And I, I don't mean in a positive way, either. Like, it, it both looks like shit and also looks like shit. <clears throat> but I'm getting sidetracked. Morbius. Morbius tells the story of one Dr. Michael Morbius. Which technically means he's one of the few superheroes who gets to go by just his literal real name. Uh, <laughs> not, it's, it's not even really an alter ego. His, his name is Dr. Michael Morbius. Uh, and, and he goes by Morbius. He didn't even keep the doctor, which you would assume for like a superhero or villain type character, you'd keep the doctor, right? But anyways, the whole idea is there's this guy who's got a debilitating blood disease uh, that essentially he, is, he has a horrific immunocompromised immune system and he needs dialysis and he is in constant pain and he's living... He has dedicated his life to finding a cure to save both him and his his best buddy Milo, whose real name is not Milo. Milo's a nickname he gave him that stuck, even though he gave it to him as like a way to deal with the fact that people were constantly dying around him his whole childhood. But they've both lived to adulthood, and one of them is is rich, and he's played by Matt Smith named Lucian, and, uh, yeah, Matt Smith is having a great time, by the way, playing it very, he's playing it up, living it up, trying to be as charismatic as he can as the villain, it's good stuff, although I'll be honest, I like Jared Leto's Dr. Morbius, who's a little bit more subdued, but the point is, is that they are, they are best buds, and I firmly believe, if I have any criticism of this movie, is that, that somewhere, I, I have no doubt that there is a more R-rated, gayer cut of this film. Because, like, <sighs> vampires are gay, okay? Vampires are pretty, like, if there's one genre of creatures that just screams constant bisexual energy, it's, it's vampires. You know what, let's upgrade that. Vampires, pansexual energy. That if it has a pulse, they probably want to seduce and suck its blood. Which, you know, for them, is their sex. That's, that's what they do for sexy time. They suck your blood. Vampires, hella gay. And I mean that in a positive sense. But, <clears throat> and quite frankly, I don't think it would have been the worst thing in the movie, in the world, if this movie had leaned into its strange, like... Bisec like Dr. Morbius is bisexual energy in this film. I they both have kind of a bisexual energy. But the point is the film is better if you read the It's a more entertaining film if you read the gay subtext into the film. That's all I'm saying, which is also true in fairness. Which is also one hundred percent uh in fairness true of the Venom movies as well. Like it just makes them a little bit deeper than they are initially. Uh, I'm just saying. If you want to enjoy the movies, this is this helps if you require a little bit more depth. But 
generally speaking, the problem with Morbius is the same problem I have with the Venom movies, which is that they're just kind of, it's just kind of weird, light fun. Like, it's just, like, this is a, it's, this is not a meal, this is a, a decent snack. Um, so essentially, Dr. Morbius has, uh, has a disease, and he's trying to make himself, uh, cure himself, and he, does an experiment with genetics, gene splicing, and bats. And essentially, accidentally turns himself into a vampire bat. And he comes, and essentially the story evolves, and his, and his, uh, and his vampire lover, I mean, his, uh, Matt's, his friend Lucian, uh, also wants the cure, but now that he knows he makes him a horrific vampire, he doesn't want to give it to him because he says it is a curse and it will fuck you up and you'll have to live on killing people by drinking other people's blood to live. But the thing is that Milo isn't as good of a person as Dr. Morbius. He, wa he is much more resentful. While Dr. Morbius has had this focus and drive in his life to make himself focus on finding this cure out of a sense of doing right and healing the people around him, Lucian just wants the cure because he doesn't want to die. And so this is kind of the nice thing about the story is that it's a juxtaposition of self-interest versus virtue for others, uh, interest in others. Dr. Michael Morbius is driven by, by the fact that he wants to help people, and then he, in his quest, goes tragically wrong when he becomes someone who is um, driven by a, an almost addictive need to feed on the blood of, of innocents who he does not want to hurt. Meanwhile, his... His, his opposite, this guy, the bad guy of our story, Lucian, I'm sorry if I'm giving away the fact that he's the bad guy. It's, it's not subtle. Like, you can kind of see it coming. Like, I knew immediately it was going to happen. Uh, like, you can, like, it's just so obvious. I mean, some of you, I apologize if that spoils anything for you. But if I'm going to talk about what's actually interesting in the movie, I have to mention it. Because the film, like I said, is not spectacular in any direction. It's got, I like the action style it uses. And then there's this thing that I'm talking about now. So, Dr. Morbius is driven by essentially his sense of, his sense of virtue and his sense of altruism. And how he wants to use his powers to do, he, he doesn't want to hurt people. He's just in a bad situation. And then, over on this side, you've got Matt's, Matt Smith's character, Lucian, who is driven by self-interest. He wants things for himself. Mor Morbius wants things for other people. Lucian wants things for himself. And the thing is, is once you justify yourself over others, it becomes easy to justify your terrible actions. And so Lucian is capable of justifying it at his need to survive as reason enough to try and do this. Meanwhile, Dr. Morbius wants to find ways to get away from the animal instinct to feed on other people. He, Dr. Morbius, is someone 
who is driven, essentially, Dr. Maurice is pro-civilization, pro-liberal progressive civilization. It's not worded that way, and it's not even coded that way. I'm just breaking down to you philosophically what that comes out to. He is the one who, even though he is hurting people, he, want, he recognizes the human nature in himself. That is the thing he wants to work to make better. He wants to fight the, this new disease he has inflicted on himself. Meanwhile, Lucian wants to give in to the base nature, the um, barbarian nature, the part of you that wants to take things that you want and fuck everybody else. Because you need to survive. That's game number one. That's survivalist ethics. The ethics of your own self-interest is both natural, but also the root of your the root of you destroying and hurting other people. The the movie has a solid It is while it is arguably not great in terms of character arc. It is solid in terms of a rhetorical morality um, that it is presenting in the film. That being said, like I said, that, that's as deep as the movie got. And that's me going as deep as possible into the film. Because the truth is that what's going on in the film, in the, in the, bigger, in the more details of it, is not a lot. It's just a fun, simple ride. That being said, like I said, I feel like there's another cut of this movie that is probably A, gayer, and B, more R-rated. Because one of the weird things about the film is that there's numerous points in the movie where people get, like, injured or cut, and, like, there's, there's blood in the movie. Like, it's a fan, it'd be weird if a vampire movie didn't have any blood. But, like, there are numerous points where, like, you see a thing happen to a person, and you hear a sound effect. And you're like, I feel like there's supposed to be more blood in this scene. Like, there's literally, there's a scene where Morbius' hand just, like, he's got claws, and he just scratches right across a guy's neck. And you can hear, like, like a gurgling noise. And not, like, just a mild gurgling noise, like a, like a spurting gurgling noise coming from, like, that he's making. But there is literally, no, there's next to no blood in that shot. Like, and it sounds like it's supposed to be, like, arterial spray. <laughs> uh, but it's PG-13, and I, I feel like at some point in production, there was a moment where this film had a lot more blood. And I would not be surprised if an unrated cut of this film came out. In fact, Sony probably should make an unrated cut of this film to make, you know, some extra easy bucks. Because they're probably going to need it. Although, to be fair, it had a modest for an action movie budget, apparently. Which is probably why it feels less grandiose or large as other superhero movies. But, honestly, I really enjoyed the action. I dig the rhetorical conflict. Um... I had a fun time. I was never bored. I didn't find anything going on objectionable to my senses. It's not like I was watching Catwoman or Return of the Swamp Thing or Swamp Thing or Man Thing 
or the made-for-TV Captain America movies, or the made-for-TV Doctor Strange movie, or the or that one Spider-Man movie where Peter Parker's uh, webbing looks like fucking rope. Uh, my point is, that there there are much worse movies. It, this isn't even like this isn't even close to like the things that were wrong with like say Fantastic Four, which was boring and also mess, also a mess. So you know, where was moving right along? So overall, Morbius. It, Morbius is a fine time. I don't know necessarily if it's a movie everyone needs to see in theaters. Um, I mean, if you like going to theaters, it's an okay time for that. Um, it's, it's got a lot of cool visuals. So, you know, if you got that medical card, you know, get taken edible. Find someone to drive you. Uh, good times. But uh, but overall, most people who are not superhero fanatics like myself, or uh, who are who don't desperately need a movie to go see right now. Well, I mean, there are bigger movies out right now. I haven't seen those movies, so I can't comment on them. But the point is, not everyone needs to see this in theaters. Not everybody does. Um, if you want to, it's not bad. It's okay if you're if you go in with an with undemanding expectations. It it is what it is. <clears throat> Which brings me to my next movie, The Spine of the Night. So, Spy of the Night is a new horror fantasy film, which I believe is a Shudder film. That's with two Ds. Um, and it essentially looks like... It, it feels like an homage... It feels like a very R-rated homage to the work of Ralph Bakshi. Uh, and what I mean by that is that it is a rotoscoped... Uh, sword and sandal fantasy film kind of in the regards to like if you're familiar with it like the wizard or um fire and ice or the 1980s uh animated lord of the rings not the return of the king or the hobbit but the lord of the rings one uh which is rotoscoped <clears throat> this is kind of like that um, that's what it looks like. That's what it feels like. And honestly, it's trippy as balls. Um, very trippy. Lots of, lots of visual things. But I will warn you, it is very R-rated. Um, this movie, <laughs> the film does not shy away from, from gore and, uh, and nudity. Although it should be noted that the primary nudity in this film is very non-sexualized. Um, and what I mean, so the main character of the film is, is a, um, like a, a swamp, they call her a swamp witch, but she's like a, a priestess chieftain of, of a, of a tribe that lives in a, in a, in a swamp or lived in a swamp. 
And essentially, as the movie opens, we see, um, played by Lucy Lawless, this woman is walking up this mountain, um, completely naked, I should note. And what's interesting is that she has a very, like, healthy, normal-shaped body. Like, they didn't, it is not, it is as if, um, it is as Frank Frazetta had, had tried to draw a woman with a more, um, natural body. Almost slightly towards Rubenesque. <clears throat> but, so she's coming up this mountain completely naked in the snow. Um, and the thing is that she's naked for almost the entire movie. And it's never even, like, addressed. Like, no one comments on it. There's never, like, any... It's never completely lurid. Um... It's very non-sexual. It's just implied that, like, the people of her tribe barely wore clothes. And this is true. Like, if you go, there's a scene with her and her tribe, all all practically naked. They have, like, maybe some of them have a loincloth or, like, a shawl thing over their shoulders. And that's, like, it. Um, there's, there's also, there are a lot of dongs in the movie, too. But, like, none of them are erect. They're all just, people happen to be naked. Um, that being said, the film is very R-rated and there's lots of nudity and it's very gory. They, uh, it's, it's cartoon gore, but it, there's a lot and it's pretty detailed. So, but anyways, she's going up the mountain and she gets to the mountain and at the top of the mountain, there is a giant skull and she steps into the skull and there is this glowing blue flower in the center uh, of the skull's mouth. And when, uh, and she goes to touch it, and this guy in armor, like, steps out and, like, says he's going to fight to make sure that she doesn't harm the plant. And she's like, oh, hold on, I didn't come here. I, that's not why I'm here. I need to come and tell you what's going on in the world. Because the bloom has spread. That's what they call this plant, the bloom. And the thing is that the, the bloom is like a other, like, psychedelic, otherworldly connection to a dead god. And basically... She comes to the guardian of this thing and starts to tell him a story of uh, essentially how the bloom had spread into the other world and how she had at one point, as as a as the priestess of this of this tribe she led, had had a whole bunch of it that she wore around her shoulders, and she would take bits and pe it would like grow around her shoulders too like it was weird but like she would take pieces of it off and she could use it for various magic but essentially you know uh civilization civilized people come around and fuck them up steal their land and it it becomes a whole it becomes not just a journey, not really a journey about her, even though she is a big part of the journey. Uh, she is there at the beginning and the end of it. Um, but a journey of how this, how this strange plant um, become, gets first stolen by, uh, 
how it becomes part of society and how it shapes the, the world. Um, and it's, it's all negative. <laughs> um, but it is a, it is a, it's not all negative, actually. There is a positive story, I remember. But the, uh, it's just a very cool sword and sandal, like Conan the Barbarian fantasy thing. I, I definitely recommend it. Um, it is super violent. Um, and so it's not for delicate sensibilities, but it is, if you like fantasy, especially like that harder edged sword and sandal fantasy, definitely recommend. Absolutely. And once again, this incredible trippy visuals. So, you know, if you got your medical card or you're in a state where it's legal, you do that. You do that thing. Definitely. But, the thing I saw recently that really blew my mind, and I mean, like, I, I was watching it, and I mean, like, I was watching this thing, and, like, maybe I was out of my mind high, or maybe it was just, or, it's like, I'm still questioning if it even really happened, but, like, so there was this movie. Actually, it's a mini series on HBO Max, and it's called Blade Runner: Black Lotus. And it takes place in the Blade Runner universe. It sets up some of the events from twenty forty nine, and it's it itself is a very cool cyberpunk noir story of a girl named L who hmm, a girl named L who wakes up and she has no memory of where she was from and all she knows is she has a recording device with her um, a piece of tech that's used for recording and she has that and so she finds herself in Los Angeles in the world of cyber uh, in the cyberpunk world of the Blade Runner universe which it should be mentioned the Blade Runner universe takes place in a world where humans have a colonized space and yet all the Blade Runner stories take place on Earth I believe but also technology has advanced to the point where essentially they create organic robots or organic androids which is a nice way of saying clone slaves genetically engineered people designed to do heavy lifting and that they're trying to make you know like submissive and whatnot but of course like all of man's creations they turn they essentially turn on they want to they want to live and they want to be free and blade runners get outlawed because like the civil rights issues with it just became too problematic and because blade runners would keep i mean sorry the um when i listen to this i'm gonna have to see if i used any of the wrong words there so these uh, replicants, they're called replicants, these 
clone android people, these replicants, go around and they want to be free and they want to live. And so, essentially, the government had to create a whole job where there, you could be a essentially a cop or a bounty hunter who is what's called a blade runner. People who hunt down these replicants and, and kill them. Which seems mean-spirited when you consider that replicants aren't supposed to be able to reproduce and only live, like, four or five years or something. Which seems like, So that seems unnecessarily mean. But, you know, people freak out when the creatures you make turn out to be basically human. So the way the story goes, this woman wakes up in the back of a van, and is suspicious. She's probably a replicant. She seems to have unusual powers that uh, she doesn't know how she has them. By that I mean she's super fast and super strong. Because she's, you know, genetically engineered. <laughs> but anyways, L. Proceeds to end up in town and has a misadventures where she makes some friends, some cool, uh, a guy named Joseph, who, uh, I think it's pretty clear what's going on with him, but, uh, he's definitely an alcoholic. But I won't say too much, because I don't want to spoil it, because I really want to encourage you to, to watch this, because I thought it was actually really good. Um, it's not as, it's a lot more action-packed than the other two Blade Runner movies. It's a lot more... I mean, it, it, it has the pacing of a... It's a mini-series, so it has the pacing of a mini-series. As opposed to the pacing of one of those movies. But it's a damn good time. And it's on HBO Max. It's produced by Adult Swim. But essentially, Elle finds herself in a, a situation with her friends. Uh, a guy named Doc Badger. A, a guy named Joseph. Uh, who I think was played by John, uh, John Cho, John Chu. Uh, regardless, uh, regardless, um, she makes friends with a guy named Joseph. And then there's this, uh, this cop lady whose name is escaping me at this moment. And, and she becomes involved and there's the police and there's all these industrial guys. And essentially it's all a big conspiracy mystery where Elle is trying to get to the bottom of who she is and where she comes from and, and what's going on, what terrible traumatic thing definitely happened to her before she lost a lot of her memory and it's just a damn good ride um, but the thing about this movie that blew my mind is that this technically is a film that is considered animation So when I first started watching it, um, I'm watching it, I'm watching it, and like the first things I notice, first of all, super, super detailed, realistic cityscapes, and and like and like sets and and buildings and whatnot. I was like incredible levels of detail. I was like, damn, this is some good CGI. 
And so I'm watching it, and like I'm watching him, but then I start noticing the people look a little bit weird. Like their arm, their their arms and legs very skinny, uh, face a little shaped weird. Their movement uh, a little a little a little strangely moved. Uh, they move a little strange. I'm thinking to myself, what's uh, what's going on there? It's very strange. Human animation choices for a film. I mean, for a miniseries or film or whatever. Uh, that's so super realistic in other areas. And so I'm watching it, and I'm watching it, and I'm watching the film. And like by episode six, I'm just watching it, and I'm like, wait a minute. Has this been a fucking puppet show this whole time? Am I watching a fucking puppet show with cgi faces is that what's fucking going on uh, did they did they cgi faces onto puppets because this is the, i mean like marionette puppets because that's what it like at a certain point i was like it blew my fucking mind like right out the back of my head i was like what the fuck and like the thing that like the part that makes me feel crazy is I've tried to Google it several times. I even tweeted at HBO Max to confirm for me that what I was watching is puppets. Because I have literally, I Googled it, and maybe I need to Google it more, or go like to the second or third pages, or maybe try like the, the Google incognito mode or something. But every time I Googled it, I could not find shit about it using puppets. I didn't see one goddamn use of the word puppets in any of the press release material. Maybe I missed the correct press release, but like literally, I felt like I was going crazy. It was... What? So... So yeah. Um... Blew my mind. Blew my mind. I definitely recommend it though. It is... Especially if you like the Blade Runner universe, it's it's a little it is more fast paced and action oriented than the other uh, Blade Runner uh, movies, which do have action in them, but are typically more. There's a lot of mystery in this movie too. I'm not I'm not saying that. Did did I find it maybe a little bit more predictable than the other ones? Eh, maybe maybe I did, but I still really enjoyed it. And it really hit nicely on the noir beats at points. As different characters are revealed in their natures and whatnot, you really get a sense of the moral complexity and gray areas of the, of the world itself. Very nice. That, that part is very nice. The character work, I really, enjoy, I really enjoyed some of the character work between specific characters. I definitely recommend it. But the thing I, I kind of love the fact that it takes itself, that like, that it is simultaneously made with a lot of the techniques of like Team America, but it's never drawing attention to it. It's never drawing your attention to the fact that it is puppets. And I kind of appreciate that. Like, I like that they wanted to take it seriously. That even though it looked like robot, kind of like robot chicken at points, it never abandoned the integrity of its universe and its sense of realism.
So I appreciated that about it. I thought it was very artistically well done. Um, it's a it's a fairly violent uh, fairly violent cartoon. Uh, I would still call it a cartoon. Um, definitely recommend it though. Definitely, it's great stuff. Uh, so yeah, I would definitely. So I have to definitely recommend 100% Spine of the Night and um, Blade Runner Black Lotus. I thought that they were both thoroughly enjoyable films. Would watch again. Definitely, if you have a medical card, these are should be near the top of your to watch list for sure. Provided you like fantasy and action. If your favorite genre is documentary, I, I don't think these would help you. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Hope you all have a great whatever time of day you're listening to this at. All right. All right, Pinocchio. We've got you now. Just tell us what you know about the Blue Fairy, or we're gonna hurt you real bad. You can't, you can't hurt me, because I'm, I'm six foot seven inches. I'm six foot seven feet tall, and I'm made out of pure, pure steel and titanium. Hey, that's, that's not true at all. You're like two feet tall, and you're made out of wood. It's an, oh. Oh god! Oh, oh! I just got stabbed in the throat with a wooden nose. Damn right, bitch! <laughs> <laughs>